Welcome to the podcast for Westside at Jesus Church. We are a family of missionary disciples in West Portland who believe the church is not a religious subculture, but the making of a new humanity. It's not a building or a weekend activity, but a community of multi-ethnic, multi-generational men and women living out the light, love, and hope of Jesus to the world around us. We hope this episode encourages and empowers you to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus as we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to start off this morning um, in, in the Bible. So if you would get, uh, if you'd pull out your Bible, if you don't have one, you can raise your hand and we got some people around the room that will give you one. If you don't own it, you can keep it. Um, but we're going to be going right to, I just want to start off the day in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Now, now last week, Tim and Kelton taught a little bit about um, some of this passage, and I'm kind of doing a part two of the same kind of space, and I'll make more sense of that in, here in a second. But Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Let me pray with you. Jesus, we come before you this morning recognizing your, uh, your space, recognizing that you are in this space, that you are uh, a part of of all of this, and, and that we, we want that, we need that. So Jesus, go before us today as we open your word, as we take a look at, um, at who you are in, in more ways, and God, reveal yourself to us and speak to us, Holy Spirit, amen. We're continuing on in the series, Receive the Holy Spirit. We've been doing it this summer. Uh, it's been a fantastic series. If you haven't um, caught up, I'd suggest you to go back and listen to some of the others coming up. But, but today we're going to continue on um, in this passage here in Galatians. As I said last week, Tim and Kelton actually walked through uh, the idea of what walking in the flesh might look like and some of the results of that. Let me read that. Galatians 5, starting in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, bam, there is a list of, of, of attributes of walking in the flesh. But today we're actually going to move on to the second part of that. We're going to start in verse 22, but with another list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So Paul, uh, the author of Galatians, is a master of rhetorical technique. And here he uses a very simple yet incredibly profound tool of comparison where he takes one list and compares it to the second. He takes what's good and compares it to what's bad. And he holds them in tension with each other. And this is really, really helpful for the reader until it's not helpful for the reader. Let me explain. It's helpful specifically in our culture when today everything is so vague. When all sorts of things that are on that first list become rationalized away. 
Even, even the things that are on that list that we see in our own lives, we rationalize it away because after all, what we're doing isn't nearly as bad as what that person is doing. And another danger that we, that we look at is we allow ourselves to believe that our own feelings, our own personal truth, our own emotions are the most important thing and that what we do with our own lives is up to each of us. Essentially, in our culture, in our world today, sin is in the eye of the beholder. Now, the danger with me making a statement like that is that the majority of us in this room instantly think about someone else who is for sure believing that. And the reason that we think about somebody else who is for sure believing that is because of the first thing I said. We rationalize away our own sin, our own failures, because after all, it's not as bad as somebody else. But if we take a minute to look at this list in Galatians 5, 19, which Kelton walked us through last week, you may not struggle with witchcraft or orgies. I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you are into witchcraft. It's very prevalent right now. But maybe there are things on this list that does hit home. But our tendency, though, is to skip over them because, after all, a little jealousy isn't nearly as bad as, like, witchcraft or orgies. Or maybe I lose my cool, fly off the handle a little bit, but at least I'm not addicted to porn. Or maybe I look at porn, but at least I'm not practicing orgies. And all of a sudden, we have put them in a rank of good, better, best, or bad, worse, worsest, whatever. We put them in a rank that Paul never did. It's all on the list. It's all sin. In fact, it's not even exhaustive. It says, and the like, right? But we put, we put them into rank, not Paul. And so this list, list is helpful because it does call a spade a spade. It's like, these things are not okay. But then it's also not helpful because we can tend to look at both of these lists of behaviors and hyper-focus on them to the exclusion of what the passage is actually really about. And that's actually what I want to get to, you, to you, with you guys this morning. I want to talk about what it's about. But actually, first, I want to talk about what it's not about. Galatians 5.22 is so familiar to us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these, there is no love. It's probably a song that goes to it that y'all know, right? It's on every like mug in Christian bookstores. It's on. It's framed in mats. It's embroidered on pillows. Like it's tattooed on skin. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe you have it. That's awesome. Um, but it's like it's all over. It's so familiar to us, right? The problem with something being so familiar is sometimes we can be so close to it that we actually begin to take it for granted and actually miss maybe what it's really about. We just assume that we already know. We kind of just accept it for what it is. For example, let's talk about birthday candles for a second. Why do we do birthday candles? Why do we take a baked good, put a lit flaming stick on it and put it in front of a child to then celebrate when they blow out? Why do we do this? It makes no sense to me that we're like, yeah, celebrate. We've all been to that three-year-old's birthday party when they get surprised that we cheer. They're surprised because it's weird and they haven't been like brainwashed yet to expect it. No, it's normal. It's what we do. We blow out candles and celebrate. It's just bizarre, but we accept it. Also croutons. Anybody? 
Why do we do, somebody, who, whoever invented croutons must have been eating a salad and thought, I wish this hurt more. <laughs> and we just accept that your gums bleed when you eat salad. That's just the way that it is. Why? Yes, I'm, con I'm comparing croutons to for the spirit. It's fine. Basically, the idea is we accept things as truth or as like acceptable. It's like, this is normal when actually maybe it's we're too familiar with that thing. All that said, I'm still going to do birthday candles at the next child's birthday. It's fine. But I feel like we do the same with passages in scripture that are super familiar to us, right? And we just get so close that we're like, accept it for what it is. Well, let me tell you one thing that the fruit of the spirit is not. The fruit of the spirit is not a list of Christian values or character qualities that you need to work on. That's not what it is. And yet I feel like so often we make it about that. I don't know if this is a Pacific Northwest culture, if this is an American culture thing, or maybe it's just a human condition, but we like to make things about ourselves. And if we're not careful, we'll approach the passage in the exact same way. Remember the first time I heard a teaching on this, I was like in middle school, and um, I was, not at this middle school, I was at middle school in a teaching, and the, and the youth pastor at the time talked about this list, like, first you have to get love, and once you get love, then you work on joy. And it's much easier to have joy if you first have love. But then once you have love and joy, then peace will surely follow. It's much easier to have peace. And then he cont continued on the list as if it like built on top of each other and stacked on top of each other and you had to work on. I remember thinking like, oh, I wonder where I'm at. I wonder what the next thing I'm supposed to work on is. Where am I at in the list? And as a middle schooler, I can tell you if that's truth, I was at zero. I still needed to work on love. Anyway, um, that's just me. But that's the list that he did. I'm just like, that doesn't... There might be truth to that. I mean, maybe you're like, yeah, if you get joy, it's a lot easier to have peace. There might be something to that, but that's definitely not what this Galatians passage is about. It's not about a list of Christian morals and values that we have to work on. And I actually think the first part to beginning to understand the passage the way that Paul intended is by taking note of a single letter or to be more specific, the lack of a letter. Look at verse 22 again. But the fruit of the Spirit... The fruit of the Spirit, singular, not plural. It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. And, and, and if you look at, back at the original language, the Greek word used for fruit is karpos. It's singular, not plural. This may not seem like a big deal, but the significance is actually huge because it's not saying that these are fruits of the Spirit that you can pick and choose from and know which one to work on. Like these different fruits, I'll take a little that and that and that. And I'm gonna work on this one, this one, this one. That's not what this is about. This list is, is almost defining who the Spirit is. It, it's almost describing to you the characteristics or the attributes of the Holy Spirit so that when you see them on display, then you know the Spirit's present. It's describing who the Spirit is, what the Spirit is about, and how the Spirit shows up. And the more that you know a person, the better you can actually describe that person. If you don't know somebody very well, if your relationship is not very good with that person, you're probably not gonna be describing them very well. A couple of years ago, Piper, my youngest, she came in from playing outside and told me about this woman that she met who was now her very good friend. She just met her that day. And that she, was eat she had shared cookies with her. And I said, well, Piper, I don't really know if I want you taking food from a stranger. Dad, 
She's not a stranger. She's my friend. <laughs> Great, honey. What's her name? I don't know. <laughs> stranger. Fine. She had brown hair and was old and smoked and looked like a Cindy. Like, that doesn't help me. Like, you're not winning your argument by telling me what she, that she looked like a Cindy. Like, that's not a relationship there. Anyway, we figured that out in the moment. She was trying to give me a description of someone so that I would see that there was a relationship, but, but there wasn't in that case. But this description of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, is a very clear, articulate description of the Spirit. In fact... According to Net Bible, another possible translation of this passage would be to add a colon after the word love. So if you look at the passage in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, right? Another possible translation of this could be, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, colon, joy, peace, patience. So it's possible to read that the eight characteristics that come after the word love are actually defining love. So you could read it, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. When you see true, real, genuine love, love that looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, then you know the Spirit is present. And here's where this gets incredible. So the last several weeks throughout this whole series, we've been talking about how the Spirit is, is present and dwells in each of us as followers of Jesus that the Spirit is here. Everything of the Spirit is inside of us. And so we must conclude that a life abiding in the Spirit will produce love, which is the fruit of the Spirit. It's who He is. It's His fruit on display through us. And this is why I think the analogy of fruit is pretty cool. Think about an apple for a second. An apple doesn't work hard to become an apple. It just is an apple. And the reason that it is an apple is because it's connected to the apple tree. The apple doesn't work hard to be an apple. It's just connected to the vine, to the tree, to the branch, and becomes an apple. The fruit of the Spirit went on display in our lives as evidence that we are partnering, that we are connected with the Spirit. It's the overflow of our relationship with the Spirit. We were talking in our teaching team this last week and Shelby sent me over like some ideas and some notes on this uh, as resources. And I loved one of the th things she sent over. I'm gonna butcher it a little bit, but it's something like this. She was saying that what this means for us is that it's not a matter of us trying to be more loving or more peaceful or more patient or so on. It means that if we find ourselves lacking love, we don't pray for more love. Rather, we ask for greater intimacy with the spirit because that's where love comes from. There's a very big difference there. Now, don't hear me say that character development is not important. Don't hear me say that. It absolutely is vital to continue to work on character development as a person. But I'm saying this passage that's describing the fruit of the Spirit is not a passage that we need to work on. Rather, it's, it's, the hope of it is Paul, Paul's writings that we would have greater desire to have intimacy with the Spirit because when we're connected to the Spirit, then the fruit, then His fruit, the work of the Spirit will be more evident in our life as we grow in our relationship with the Spirit. Do you see the difference there? It's not about works. It's about a relationship. 
Our hope, I think what Paul would, I think the reason that Paul compares the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit here, holding these two lists in tension with each other, the hope would be that each of us would find a greater desire for intimacy with the spirit. A desire to be more rooted, more grounded to the spirit. To look more like Jesus as the fruit of his spirit is on display in our lives. But the reality, and I think we all know this, the reality is that we, we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We talk about this all the time. It's the now and the not yet. We see times and places and glimpses of his, of his spirit and his will being done and carried out in beauty. And then we see moments of sadness and brokenness and pain and sorrow, the not yet. We live in a time in history that is after the ascension of Jesus, before his return, and we see glimpses of the now and the not yet. We live in the tension of the two lists in Galatians. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would probably see some of the works of the flesh, some of the works of this list being played out in our own lives. I know my family, after hearing this message last week, we had big chats in our home about discord, about what does it look like to live in harmony, all six of us. That's on the list, right? So maybe there's things that we see in our lives being played out in this way. And then there's probably times in our lives where we actually see some of the fruit of the Spirit being played out in our lives. And Paul held these two lists in tension with others, with each other. I mean, Galatians 5.16, he starts this way. 5.16, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. He's just calling it out. They're going to live in tension with each other. They can. They, they are in conflict with each other. But I think, I think we all understand this, but I actually want to drop a bit of a bomb here. If you've heard me teach before, you've probably heard me teach about this. And if you hear me teach again, I will for sure teach about it. Because this, to me, is one of the most important things I think we all need to understand as followers of Jesus. You don't have to live your life counting the months between your failures. Your life doesn't have to be lived walking on a tightrope with the works of the flesh on one side and the fruit of the Spirit on the other. And as you walk, sometimes you fall into this area, but then maybe if, if, you're, if you're doing real good, then you can walk in the Spirit for this second. And yet we find ourselves in this tightrope walk. I, I just don't think we need to do that. Romans 6, verse 3. Here's why I know that's true. Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Like that's the reality of the world that we live in, a world where we can walk 100% of the time in the spirit. We don't have to be afraid of stumbling back into walking in the flesh. 
We can be set free from this. Let me give you a really old analogy, but it's a good one. Let's say that you are living in an apartment that is owned by an evil landlord that charges you too much money, that blackmails you to do things that you don't wanna do, so on and so forth, evil. You can't get out, you're just stuck in this place. Then let's say one day you finally do get out, you're living in an apartment with a good landlord that's kind and just and fair, and you have no commitment to the old landlord. The contract is done, it's over, it's set free. You're, everything about that is over with. You live now in this place. But every so often, that evil landlord comes knocking and says, you owe me money. You don't, you don't, absolutely not but still sometimes we choose to pay. Still sometimes we make the choice. It's not a higher superpower that you're stuck in and that you're like, that you are, um, there, there's no alternative. There's like, it's just what I have to do. No, 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 Romans 6, you have been set free. You can walk in that freedom. You don't have to live counting the months between your failures. There is absolute and complete freedom. It's actually possible to be set free from paying the old landlord. It's possible to live your life led by the Spirit 100% of the time. Did you know that the old man, your flesh, can be crucified and put to death? That you no longer have to obey the desires of the flesh? Do we know that that's true? And here's what just breaks my heart about this is I still think there's some of you out there like, yeah, that sounds great, but that's not my story. It can be your story. There's freedom for you. And I know that it can be your story because I believe that, that when Jesus came and that when he died, and when we say that the blood of Jesus is enough, if we say that that's not your story and that you're still stuck in that, then what we're actually saying is the blood of Jesus isn't enough and it's not powerful enough. And it's only powerful for the small sins that we talk about but not for some of the big addiction that we talk about because that's too much. I don't want to live in that world. It's not true. You are believing a lie from Satan that says you're stuck. You're believing that the old landlord says, no, you have to because I'm telling you, you have to pay me. You don't. And I just, I, my, my hope for this morning is that some of you can walk out of here with a new freedom as a follower, a freedom from the addiction and the bondage and the binding and the, and, the, and, the, and the evil that he wants to continue to hold on to, to your heart and your life. And he wants to hold you down. And Jesus, Romans 6 is saying, no, you are set free. The old man has been crucified. Walk in that freedom. Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say walk by the spirit and every so often you can find victory. It says you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You can walk in freedom. So in a, in a minute, actually, I wanna lead us through a little bit of like practice of examination. Um, and really there's just two things that I want us to focus on. And the, and the first would be this, is there an area in your life where you need freedom? Maybe, maybe it's one of the things that are on that list. Maybe it's something else, but it's something where you're feeling like you just keep paying the old landlord and you wanna stop. I think that there's freedom for you today. But the second would be this. According to Galatians, freedom is found by walking in the spirit. 
So this begs the question, how do we walk by the Spirit? Last week, Tim touched on the idea of walking in the Spirit. I love the analogy of walking. In fact, Tim pointed it several times throughout Scripture that this idea of walking comes up. I mean, there's a bunch of different places, right? We walk in the light. God has good works created for us to walk in. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk in the newness of life. We do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. As we walk through the valley, we do not fear. We keep the Lord's commands by fearing him and walking in his ways. And even in the garden, what I would argue would be the first moment of discipleship that we see, God is walking with Adam and Eve. Jesus, when he walked this earth, when he was resurrected and he appeared on the road to Emmaus, he walked with the men as he shared and as he talked with his disciples. He walked with them everywhere. There's something about this idea of walking with the Spirit. So when, when we were in Scotland just a few weeks ago, it's a walking culture. You walk everywhere, more than you think you will. It's beautiful. Here's a few things that I noticed when you walk. First, everything seems to slow down. You're just walking. You're not, you can't be in a rush. I mean, I guess you could run, but nobody wants to do that. I mean, you could walk, right? And you're walking, things slow down. You also have space to chat, space to think space to process. You have space to build relationships. And one of the things that I actually love the most about it is you have time to look at your surroundings. Walking with the Spirit is a time to slow down, to create space. When we walk together, relationships grow. When we talk with each other and spend time with each other. Remember, the question here isn't how do we get more love, joy, peace, patience, but rather how do we remain connected to the vine? How do we walk with the Spirit? And the beauty is that we, we don't need to overcomplicate this. John 15, 4 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I've heard people say this, and I've actually taught messages this way. I said, just, you know, just five minutes. Just give them five minutes in the morning. I mean, that's, that's fine. But if I just gave my wife five minutes in the morning, I'd be missing out so much. That's not space. That's not walking with. I think the call is for us to create some space. And what if we use this analogy of a walking culture and sure, spend that five minutes in the morning, but instead of just like ticking that box and saying, all right, I've done that and I'm moving on, what if at the end of that first five minutes in the morning, you're like, all right, Spirit, would you walk with me today? In a walking culture, you don't just walk the first part of the day and then that's it. It accents the entire day. The entire day, the space between the things is walking. You're walking, you're thinking, you're pondering. What if, what if that 
What if that was more like our relationship with the Holy Spirit? But it, but it takes work. Like any relationship, it takes time, it takes desire, it takes intentionality, it takes love. The closest human relationship that I have right now is to my wife, Jenny. We've been working on it for 21 years, been married for the last 17 of them. 17 on August 6th. Yeah. Sure. It's great. It's been awesome. Uh, there's been ups and downs. There's been moments that I'm proud of, moments that I'm not. Just pro tip, husbands, real quick. Side note, if you come into the, your house after working all day, after you've been gone all day, and you walk in the house at the end of the day, and it smells like a dog, don't say, wow, it smells like a dog to your wife who's been there all day. Don't just, you know what, just don't say this. What you actually should say is you come in and just say almost anything else, almost anything in the world else. You could say something like, Hi, honey. That would, I mean, that. Like, it would almost been better to say nothing. But don't say, wow, it smells like a dog. Just pro tip. But despite the ups and downs, hypothetically speaking, there is such a tight-knit relationship and absolute love for each other that we have. There's relational intimacy. There's spiritual intimacy. It's physical intimacy longing to be back together again. I was in Scotland for two weeks without her and every single day that I was without her, I would see things, I would see sights, I would look, and I'd wonder what she would think if she was here with me. I would like, oh, it'd be so cool if you met this person or so cool if you saw this person. I'd wanna tell people about my wife. Like it was just something that, that was, was constantly on my mind. I waited to, so I could text her. I, I couldn't wait to call her, text her, show her a picture of something. This is what's going on. There was such a desire to have her involved in all of that and then just the longing to be back together again. There was this guy that I met while I was in Scotland. He was a great guy, really good guy, um, strong father of Jesus, probably had a, you know, had a lot he could teach me. Um, it's been a week and I don't miss him at all. And if I talk to him tomorrow, that would be awesome. But if I didn't, that's okay. I can make it. I'm going to be fine. Actually, if I didn't ever talk to him again, I'd be fine. Now, if I hold the tension of those relationships, the, the relationship that I have with my wife, the desire to be connected and grounded, the desire to know her and to hear from her, to speak to her, the longing to be together again, and if I hold in tension the dude that I met from Scotland who's just like, it'd be great to talk to him today or tomorrow, but if I don't, that's fine too. And if I hold those two relationships in tension, and then I ask us, between those two, where would we put our relationship with the Spirit? Do you have a desire and a longing to walk with the Spirit, to know Him, to interact with Him, to speak to Him, to hear from Him? Or is it the sort of thing where it's like, I mean, it'd be great if I talked to Him tomorrow, but it's also okay if it doesn't happen. Where are we at? I mean, I know Him. There's a lot that I could probably learn from Him, but I'm I'm pretty good, like with my current culture. Yeah, it'd be great to hear from him, sure, but where are we at? I think the call is for each of us to walk more intentionally. And there's a ton of ways to do this, but if I was to be super practical, um, 
Jenny and I have been really enjoying using this app called Lectio 365, and we did it with our team when I was in Scotland. Basically, it's a morning and an evening guided prayer. It's a great way to start your day with the Spirit, to carry then the Spirit on throughout the day with you, to walk with Him, to talk with Him, and then to end your day laying things down before you go to sleep at night. It's beautiful. But there's so many different ways for us. I think the point is we, we have to think about what does it look like to create space. So as we move into this practice today, there's two things that I actually want to be um, asking the Spirit to reveal to us. First, is there an area in our life where we need freedom? And secondly, how can we create more space to walk in the Spirit? So I want, to, I want to step us into this next part, which is just going to be a prayer of examination. And so if you want to take, uh, remove any distractions off of your lap, um, and then we're just going to be praying together. I'm going to guide us through a few things. If you want to co- close your eyes and bow your head, you can do that. That's just simply to remove distraction. But if, you're, but if you would rather keep your eyes open, that's fine. Um, another thing that sometimes I'll do is keep my hands open like so, just as a posture of receiving. I, I found that my physical posture, sometimes um, my heart will follow. And then I just want to guide us through a little bit of of prayer here. And and if this is new for some of you, that's okay. Just listen. But I'd ask that you attempt to follow along a little bit. Holy Spirit, we absolutely are aware that you're in this place with us. We know that that's true. Scripture says we're two or three gathered in my name. You're present. And so we, we thank you for your presence and for being here. And so if you would just imagine maybe that the Spirit is even next to you in the chair, just right here, right next to you. And then imagine that you turn. I just want you to ask this question. What is the area in my life that I need freedom from? Just ask. And listen. If he's revealed some things to you, amazing. If not, that's okay. But if he has revealed something to you, I just want you to take that moment and just claim the freedom, the freedom that Jesus, that Jesus paid. He, he, he died. He shed his blood. His body was broken. And there's freedom. In fact, even imagine that sometimes those things that hold us, that bondage, those things we need freedom from can even look like chains attached to our ankles or our wrists. Imagine the Spirit is unlocking those, or better yet, smashing them to pieces. Claim that freedom in the name of Jesus over that addiction. Then the next thing I want you to ask the Spirit is, how can I create more space to spend with you?
if he's revealed anything specific, remember it. Write it down. Jesus, we thank you that you speak to us. Spirit, we thank you that you speak to us. Father God, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you're here, that you're a God who doesn't live far off, but you draw close.